Well, hello, everybody. This is Bob Burrow. Welcome to the Best Old Time Radio Podcast. This week, we're doing an archive show. This is a Boomer Boulevard show, first broadcast back on the 6th of May in 2019. Hope you enjoy it. It's half past eight exactly, Mr. Dillon. I better get it out of the safe now. Everybody, this is Bob Bro. Welcome to Boomer Boulevard. This is the old time radio podcast where we play old time radio shows we actually remember from when we were kids because we're baby boomers. Great lineup tonight. We have an episode of Suspense that is also an episode of Sam Spade. Tell you about that in a minute. We're going to follow that up with a uh, really fun episode of the Edgar Bergen and Charlie McCarthy show. And then, of course, we're going to end up with an episode of Gunsmoke. We have a long show tonight, Chester tells me. So get yourself situated. We're going to get started in just a minute. going to start off this week with an episode of suspense but this is a unique episode in that this is not a 30-minute episode of suspense this is an hour-long episode of suspense and you thought to yourself ah suspense wasn't on for an hour oh contraire yes it was in 1948 they started off the year with suspense as a 60-minute dramatic series now, how did this come about? Okay, Suspense started in 1940 on CBS, and at first it didn't uh, draw a lot of attention, but the format was good, the stories were good, and people started listening. Now, at first they didn't have a lot of really big guest stars, but in 1943 they gained a sponsor, Roma Wines, 
Roma Wines uh, really pumped some money into the show, and it was a very synergistic relationship. The program was able to increase its budget. Big stars were attracted to appear on Suspense, and Roma Wines sold a lot of wine as a result. And that went on for several years until 1947 when they had a parting of the ways. Of course, radio was starting to lose its prestige as television was being introduced. And so CBS was faced with a, with a dilemma. What should they do with this program suspense? Well, it had been a good show, and rather than just let it go, they decided to promote it by increasing its length. So, beginning in January 1948, it was moved to Saturday nights, and it was broadcast from 8 to 9 p.m. Eastern Time. And what you're going to hear tonight was the second show in January of 1948, and they did something very, very unique. William Spear, who produced Suspense and was the, the director of most episodes, also produced and directed the Sam Spade program, or The Adventures of Sam Spade, starring Howard Duff. And he brought over the cast from that show. And it's kind of unique in that this is technically a sequel to the story of the Maltese Falcon. So if you are familiar with the Maltese Falcon, you're going to recognize some of the characters in this presentation tonight. If you don't, it doesn't matter. This stands alone very well. Okay, let's go back to January the 10th, 1948 for Suspense. And the name of this episode is The Candy Tooth. And it features Howard Duff and Lorene Tuttle. Would you hand me that, please? Thank you. Hmm. Now, let's see. Survey, survive, Susanna, suspect. Ah, here we are. Suspense, meaning held in doubt, expressing doubt. The state of being uncertain, undecided, or insecure. State of anxious expectation or waiting for information. Such as uh, to keep one in suspense. Therefore, delay acquainting him with what he is eager to know. Suspense! An hour of suspense now. A full 60 minutes at this time. And with the distinguished actor-director Robert Montgomery as your host. Tonight our star is Howard Duff, famous wherever radio is heard as Sam Spade, detective. And as Spade, he will appear in The Candy Tooth. A suspense play produced, edited, and directed by William Spear. Sam Spade Detective Agency. Wake up, Angel. You're home in bed, not at the office. Sam, is that you, Sam? Mm Mm-hmm. 4.30 in the morning. Are you up already? Effie, pull yourself together. Get dressed. Hustle down to the city jail. Oh, Sam, what happened? Well, that's what I got to get on the record now while I'm still alive to do it. Grab a taxi and hustle on down. Bring a book, pencils, the encyclopedia that has the letter K in it, and any old $20,000 you got laying around. Sam, where am I going to get pencils at this hour? 
I hurried just as fast as I could. There was no taxi around. What are you doing in jail? My apartment's being redecorated. Did you bring your book? Well, of course I did. And pencils, too. But you're here on a murder charge, Sam. Whatever could have happened to you? Take it down, Effie. But, Sam, what did the you San do? The San Francisco Homicide Bureau. Attention, Detective Lieutenant Dundee. Date, uh, fill it in. I will. From Samuel Spade, license number 137596. Subject, the candy tooth caper. Dear Dundee, I don't know all the answers, not yet. What I do know is going down on paper while I'm still alive to get it there. Oh, Sam. The scenario runs something like this. This morning, a telegram came to my office. It was addressed to Samuel Spade, Esquire, and it was signed, Casper Gutman. Gutman, the fat man. So far as I knew, Dundee, when you closed your books on the Maltese Falcon Capers seven years ago, Gutman was entered as dead. First, I thought the telegram was somebody's idea of a joke. But when I read it through the second time, I knew it was no joke. There's nobody else who thinks or talks or writes like Casper Gutman. My dear Mr. Spade, you will no doubt receive with mixed emotions the news of my imminent reappearance in the city of the Golden Gate. Hence the companion dispatch of a telegraphic draft in the amount of $1,000, which you are free to convert into coin of the realm. This trifling sum, sir, is merely a token of my esteem for a man of many resources and nice judgments. And for it, I do not require any specific service. However... If you feel so disposed, sir, you are free to accept my considered advice in the matter of an invidious pair of rogues. To wit, one Lawrence Laverne, DDS, and or Hope Laverne, whose charms and aliases are far too myriad to enumerate in this necessarily abbreviated communication. Should either or both of these persons approach you, beware the hidden tooth. Believe me, sir, they are untruthful and reliable and totally devoid of all moral sensibilities. I count upon you to make no commitments to them or anyone else until you've heard my proposition. This I hope to lay before you when I arrive in San Francisco this very evening. Dear Joel, sends regards. I remain your obedient servant, Casper Gutman. Casper Gutman, the fat man. I know, Dundee, you figured I didn't get hurt much the last time I tangled with Gutman over the Maltese Falcon. But that's because you didn't know Bridget O'Shaughnessy as well as I did. As well or as warmly. Well, I figured if Gutman was still in the land of the living, let him come. This time I wasn't going to get hurt in any way. There couldn't be two Bridgets. Nevertheless, I ate a can of spinach, which I found on Effie's desk. Then I sat down again, facing the door. Nothing much happened for almost ten minutes. I was still trying to dig the meaning out of Gutman's double talk, and I'd gotten about as far as his warning about a hidden tooth... When Effie ushered a man into my office. Mr. Spade. Well, well, I must say that you are indeed a pleasant surprise. But pleasant. You've said it. What can I do for you? My name is Laverne. Larry, uh, Lawrence Laverne. How do you do? I shall spare you the tiresome and details and plunge right into the problem. Oh, dear. At the Hotel Royal George, there is a mildewed creature, but mildewed, registered as Mr. Herman Julius. Oh. <gasps> Oh, a really frightful person. Very frightful, huh? Oh, the kiss of death department. The only thing about this creature that has any charm is a four-tooth lower bridge in his right jaw. Now, Mr. Spade, I want you to get that bridge for me. I'm sorry. It sounds as though you're saying I want you to get that bridge for me. Precisely. Mm-hmm. Why? Because he refuses to pay me for it. You're uh, a dentist? 
I prefer to regard myself as a dentist sculpturer. I created this bridge for Mr. Julius with infinite pains. And now, now he refuses to pay me. I ask payment and he accuses me of acting without charm. Mr. Julius wouldn't happen to be a very large, fat man? Oh, contraire. Skin and bones. Well, Mr. Spade? I'm afraid you come to the wrong man, Mr. Laverne. What you want is a lawyer to sue him. Sue him? Months of legal wrangling? Oh, no. Oh, no, 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 no. I intend to be vindictive about this. I am by nature a very gracious and charming person. But now, now let him beware. I shall have that bridge from Herman Julius, even if you must knock him down and wrench it from his jaw. Uh-huh. You tried knocking him down yourself? Oh, I, I could never even bring myself to perform extractions. I always send those patients to less sensitive dentists. Yeah, well, I'm afraid you'll have to find yourself a less sensitive private detective. Oh, oh, dear. Well, Mr. Spade, what would you advise me to do? I, uh, Mr. I... Laverne, I would advise you to get out of California before Walt Disney sees you. Well, well, good day, sir. Hmm. I would like very much to have you in my chair someday. Oh, might teach you some manners. Please sit down, Miss... Uh... Thank you. Laverne. Hope Laverne. Miss Laverne? Yes. What can I do for you? Well, I'm... Uh, I'm looking for my brother. Missing? Well, yes, yes and no. I mean, he's been gone since yesterday, and I'm terribly afraid he'll get into trouble. Oh? What kind of trouble? Well, you see, it... it... Well, it just isn't easy for me to talk about this, Mr. Spade. Well, now, Miss Laverne, suppose you just lean back in that chair, close your eyes, and... Yes, thank you. Yes, it's, it's easier like this. Mm -hmm. I thought you'd like. My brother's name is uh, Lawrence. He's a man of 52. He's, uh, he's not well. I, I mean, he, he gets spells, and he acts peculiarly. He suffered a nervous breakdown some years ago, and he spent most of his life in sanitariums. Where are you from, Miss Laverne? Kansas City. Uh, during the past year, uh, Larry was in a rest home in uh, Palo Alto... And I arrived two days ago to take him home. Yesterday morning, he... Well, I don't know how it happened, but he's gone. These uh, spells you mentioned, what are they like? Oh, well, he assumes different personalities. His favorite seems to be that of a dentist. He becomes obsessed by the thought that he's done some work, a bridge or something, for someone who refuses to pay him. Uh, he'll walk up to a perfect stranger and create a scene. He's been arrested a few times, nothing serious, public nuisance. Mr. Spade, I'm afraid that he'll be... He'll be put away if he's arrested once more. I see, and you want me to look for him. Then he hasn't been here. Why'd you think he'd come here? Oh, that, that's another one of his tactics. He goes to a private detective, hires him to either follow a man or get back the work he thinks he's done. Uh, uh, dental work, you know. But what made you think he'd come to me? Oh, well, not you, particularly. Ever since yesterday, I've tried almost every private detective in San Francisco. No one has seen him. Who'd you talk to? I beg your pardon? These are uh, private detectives. Who'd you see? Oh. Well, um, um, there was a man named Graham and um, uh, one named Marlowe, Philip Marlowe. Excuse me. Would you like a drink? No. Thank you. Marlowe speaking. That's Spade, Phil. Hiya, Sam. Uh, Phil, uh, you got a rumble on a missing brother named uh, Larry Laverne? Yeah, yeah. Cal was in early this morning. Hmm? Brother's some kind of a screwball. You meet him? No, no, hasn't been around yet. Ah, uh, thanks, Phil. See you. Why did you do that, Mr. Spade? 
It's doing things like that that have kept me alive and in business all these years. That was Marlowe. Your brother hasn't been to him. I told you that. But your brother has been here. When? A few minutes before you came in. Can't see how you missed him. What did he tell you, Mr. Spade? Pretty much as you outlined it. About the dental work. And some man owing him money. Yes, yeah, some man named Julius. Uh, Herman Julius, he said. You know him? I never heard of him. He's probably just another figment of Larry's imagination. Mr. Spade, I'm terribly worried about Larry. I got that impression. Will you try to find him for me? Can you give me any idea where I might start looking? Well, I, I, I think I know how Larry's mind works when he's in the midst of one of these spells. And uh, if you find this Mr. Uh, uh, Julius, uh, you'll probably find Larry close by. So you want me to find Mr. Julius first? Oh, well, I only thought it would be simpler checking on this Mr. Julius' movements than on Larry's unpredictable whims, you see. I... Don't you think that makes good sense, Mr. Spade? Miss Laverne told me she was staying at the Pickwick Arms, and I said I would call her if I found her brother, and she said, thank you, thank you very much, and I said, it's nothing, just part of the day's routine, and then she kissed me and left. After lunch, I uh, strolled over to the Royal George Hotel. Duke, the housekeeper, gave me a rundown on Mr. Julius, a quiet, nervous little man who'd sealed himself up in his room for two days, eating out of room service. I didn't have any trouble finding the hacky who'd driven him away when he checked out. He gave me the address, and 20 minutes later, I was mounting the front steps of a greasy rooming house on Sacramento Street. I twisted the rusty bell in the door, and a long, sharp nose that could only belong to a landlady stabbed out at me. What you want? I'm looking for a man named Herman Julius. Don't have no Julius here. Well, maybe he gave some other name. A little skinny guy with a foreign accent. You the Lord? Take me to his room. No, wait a minute. No, no. Well, step inside. Upstairs. Home? Never seen him go out. Ain't for one door. Watch that step second from the top. It's busted. Don't want no lawsuits. That's the third. Said he was a refuge. The Nazis was after him. Uh, another flight. Never knew he was in a dangle with the Lord. Uh, smell that? Certainly do. Cooking in the rooms. Oh, I've got a rule, too. Sneaking electric plates, they do. Runs up the bills. Buzzards. There's uh, his room. Uh, Mr. Julius! Uh, Mr. Julius! Mr. Julius, you sick in there? Uh, they drink, some of them. Then that don't cook in their rooms, they drink. Get D.T., some of them. Uh, <laughs> oh, go on in and get him. I don't want no part of it. Uh, oh, they stay. I didn't see who it was right away. His face was the color and consistency of crushed strawberries. I helped him up and over to the wash basin in the corner of the room. With his face washed, he looked a little better, but he still looked like Larry Laverne. Oh, oh, am I ever glad to see you. I thought it was them coming back to kill me. Did you find Julius? No, no. Got away, the wretch, down the fire escape as I came in. Who did this to you? A big fat man? Oh, to tell the honest truth, Mr. Spade, I, I never even got a good look at him. He was all over me before Who's I... Julius? Had... What's in his bridge work? Oh, I'll tell you everything, everything. But please, first, let's get out of this horrid room. Oh, it smells like Abby. Larry Laverne was tougher than he looked. After the going over he'd gotten, you or I would have been hospital-bound, Dundee. But he did a late take. We 
were on the way back to his hotel, walking toward Market, when he crumpled in the middle like a sack of flour. I grabbed him and held him upright, looked wildly around for somewhere to park him. We were standing in front of a newsreel theater. I bought two tickets and piloted him inside. We sat down. I undid his clutch in my arm and concentrated on the screen. The subject that followed the football game was some big oriental celebration somewhere in India or someplace. A very fancy parade with white elephants. Andy, Ceylon. The famed white elephants of the Orient get their annual airing as crowds of devout Buddhists gather to do homage to some of the strangest relics in the modern world. Here in Kandy, the mecca of the Buddhist religion, pilgrims gather from near and far. Indian rajahs, oh, Burmese peace. officials, and hey, Chinese boy. dignitaries oh. in ceremonial dress prostrate themselves before the jewel casket this. containing the most sacred object of the Buddhist world, oh. legendary relic of Buddha himself. <laughs> As the Orient goes wild in jubilant <laughs> celebration, temple dancers of candy perform for the crowned heads of the Orient. <laughs> Take me out of here! I can't stand it! I'll go mad! I tell you, stop raving mad! Take it easy. You're annoying the customer. You brought me in here on purpose. You're trying to drive me crazy, but crazy! Easy, easy. Listen to me. Two men if holding up the sacred relics are high priests. If that man says that one word, Candy, just once more, I won't be responsible. I tell you, I won't be responsible! Uh, all right, Larry. Take me out of here! The end, but the end! Oh, you got me doing it. Come An on, impressive ceremony, <laughs> indeed. I promise you, Mr. Spade, all I need is just one night's sleep and I'll be a new man. Yeah. Why, I haven't even dared to take 40 winks since I arrived in this town for fear those monsters might murder me in my bed. Yeah, yeah, I know. Oh. Stop. Sit down. So this is your apartment? That's what I laughingly call it. Living room, bedroom, icebox. Here, have a drink. Me oh, too. Oh, thanks. Oh. Oh, did I ever need that. Help yourself with the bottle. I don't touch alcohol as a rule, but after what I've been through... Well, now, drink all you like. You deserve it. Oh, thank you. Well, I hardly know where to begin. It's also strange. And there I was in Lisbon, Mr. Spade, the only English-speaking dentist worthy of a name in the entire diplomatic colony. Well, you must have read in the papers about Dom Constantino's tomb being violated. It was the scandal of the season. Oh, it's so, so horrible, Mr. Spade. I, I just can't ah, talk here, about here, it. Here, I, try I really a little more can't. of this. Settles the nerves. Oh, I just don't know how I can ever thank you. Ever since I hit this berg, I've been feeling like the forgotten... <coughs> Pardon, man. Yeah, you were saying something about a tomb being broken into. In Portugal, this was? Yes. Well, you know, the draft board just took one look at me. And... I know what you mean. So I just stayed on in Lisbon and... Well, you know how people gossip, having patience of all nationalities and all that. You yeah, know. yeah, I get it. Between the Nazis and the Allies, you were quite a social lion. Oh, now, wait a minute. Don't get the idea I was a spy. Oh, no. But sometimes people had things that could be hidden in a hollow tooth and like that uh, bridge work, you know? I think I told you I'm not so much a dentist as a dental artist. Mm-hmm. Well, that fat Mr. Gutman brought me this tooth, you see. Gutman? Yes, yes, Mr. G and that Joel Cairo person that was with him. Well, they brought me this tooth. Oh, a horrid yellow old thing, practically a fang. They wanted to put it in Mr. Julius Bridge. Paid me a thousand pounds. Can you imagine? Then when I learned what they had done, well, it made me positively ill. This practically sacred old tomb in the cathedral, they'd broken in and literally torn out a piece of his, of his jawbone. Whose? By Dom Constantino's. And who's Dom Constantino? Oh, the Portuguese viceroy. It didn't hurt him any. He's been dead 500 years if he's dead a day. 
Oh dear, I'm as tight as a tick. <laughs> this this nigger is getting to me. <laughs> and it was. I thought he'd open up some more, but I overplayed the bourbon. Half a bottle later, he passed out. I flopped on the sofa and tried to get some sleep for myself. But my dreams kept getting in the way. I had newsreel dreams in Technicolor. I dreamed that a white elephant with a face like Casper Gutman was leading a parade down Market Street. The howdah that was strapped to his back looked like a dentist chair. Herman Julius was sitting in it, but this face seemed to be blanked out. Joel Cairo, wearing a surgeon's gown and a turban, was drilling Julius's tooth. The crowds were throwing diamonds and rubies from the peanut bags they were carrying, and Gutman vacuumed them up with his trunk. That was when the bells started ringing in the Buddhist temple that had been built on top of the Mark Hopkins. Yeah. Mr. Spade. Yeah? Mr. Spade, I need your help. I, Who's this? Hope Laverne, please, Mr. Spade. I'm, I'm terrified. Where are you? I'm in a drugstore at Fifth and Mission. Near the bus depot? Yes, please, come at once, Mr. Spade. Well, can't you come here? I can't. I don't dare go into the streets. All right, wait there. I'm on my way. I took a quick gander at Laverne, saw he was still out cold, slipped into my top coat, and left the apartment. I figured it would take me 11 minutes to hustle over to Fifth and Mission. But I never got any further than 50 yards from the front of my building. I sensed him behind me, wheeled suddenly, bumped him into a doorway, held the thumbs of his hands, gripped tightly in my fist. Uh, stand still or I'll tear him off. Let go. I'll kill you. Don't move and it won't hurt. You, you filthy beast. Well. The boy twisted suddenly and violently, and I heard the crack of his left thumb breaking. He swallowed a scream, dashed on into the deserted street. I went after him, turned into the alley, and caught the butt of a gun behind my right ear. I don't know how long I was out, but I do know I came to at least three hours too soon. I needed much more rest. I opened my eyes, steadied a swaying ceiling, and then I heard his voice. Well, sir, <laughs> this is indeed a jolly reunion. <laughs> Couldn't be, but it was. Casper Gutman, the fat man of the Maltese Falcon Caper. Looking at the unholy trio there in the room, Joel Cairo, the little Levantine, still as oily and smiling as ever and still fragrant. Marvin, a sullen, white-faced, hollow-eyed youth as near Wilmer's double as anyone will ever see. And Gutman, spruce as ever in his black cutaway coat, black vest, and gray-striped gray trousers. You'd have thought nothing had happened since then. Not even the war. The grayness at Cairo's temples only made his baby face look more babyish. And about Gutman, nothing was different except his watch chain. A curious jewel-encrusted ornament dangled from it, shaped like a claw. Uh, you seem surprised to see me, sir. And no wonder. It's always disconcerting to encounter a ghost, especially such a substantial ghost. <laughs> A lot of water has gone under the bridge since last we met, eh? Under the bridge? <laughs> the br yes, which brings us to the subject at hand, the bridge. My headaches. What about the bridge? Well, first, we'll talk a bit. 
After all, this is quite an occasion, sir. Reunion of old friends, eh, Mr. Spade? Yeah. Tell me, did you ever find the falcon, if you'll excuse the expression? Oh. Your eyes are resting on all that remains of that fabulous bird, sir. Yes, that trinket on his watch chain. All that remains of the Maltese falcon. Well, mark you, sir, what part of it survived. The claw. Uh, you believe in omen? Right now, I'm ready to believe almost anything. Indeed, sir. Well, no need for dissembling. We're old and wise, I trust, and in the days of the falcon. Well, suffice it to say, the unsavory and uh, bloated object which the police dredged up from San Francisco Bay and identified as myself was some other poor soul. Wilma, I am happy to say, remembered the debt of gratitude he owed me, and at the last moment agreed to be a party to the very necessary little deception. That is, since they had him cold, as you detectives say, for the other killings, he might as well confess to murdering me. He did so in exchange for my agreement to take care of his family in a financial way. An investment, by the way, which has paid rich dividends. How's that? Oh, indeed. Oh, well, thanks to it, I now have Marvin, Wilma's younger brother. I thought I noticed a family resemblance. Shut up! Oh, yes, yes, poor Wilma. He was like a son to me, like a son. Well, it didn't stop you from making him a patsy. I detest killing Mr. Spade. I cautioned Wilma time and again. He was so headstrong. A mere boy. You'd better caution this punk or he won't last to take any raps for you. I'll break now, his head now, wide Marvin, open. Marvin. That dirty shamus lays another hand on me. I'll kill no, him. No, 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 Marvin, Marvin. Joel, take Marvin into the other room. Explain to him that Mr. Spade and I are very old friends. Casper knows best, Marvin. Come with me. And now, you. no nonsense, you two now. Someday I'll kill him. Uh, Marvin, uh, Casper will be angry. <laughs> oh, dear. Hot-headed runs in that family. Yeah. Well, let's have it, Gutman. What are you after this time? Oh, my dear boy, you misjudge me. It's true I had Marvin check up on you, but only because of your association with Miss Laverne. Oh, but, uh, no matter now. I'm weary of the chase. All the way from Candy, I... <clears throat> what did the girl tell you? She asked me to find her brother, a dentist named Laverne. You believed her story? No. Most unscrupulous woman. No veracity, no regard for truth whatsoever. Her true motive? <laughs> Merely to make trouble for me and my friends because of her association with Kemidov. Aye, the Russian's hand again, Mr. Spade. Kemidov? Did I ever meet Kemidov? You'd hardly forget if you had. In short, here is my proposition. Another thousand dollars, coin of the realm, sir for which you will refund whatever money Miss Laverne gave you and send her packing. The bidding starts at 10000 Ooh, oh, you drive a hard bargain, Mr. Spade. <clears throat> Very well, I'll meet your turn. I told you the bidding starts there. And where does it stop? Half or whatever the caper nets you. I deliver Julius, you do the rest. Well, between you and me, Mr. Spade, I'm not as affluent as I once was. The Falcon pretty well wiped me out financially. <laughs> Considering the time and money I've already invested in trying to track down the weasel Julius. I... What's in uh, Julius's bridge work? <laughs> and if I don't choose to tell you? Then it's no dice. Think it over, Gutman. Either I'm in all the way for half, or I deliver Julius to the other outfit. And that is your final dictum, sir? Take it or leave it. Either you're in or you're out. <laughs> well, good night, Mr. Spade. I trust you will call me on the telephone when you reach your diggings and tell me that you've changed your mind. <laughs> no, no hot feelings. <laughs> the fog was clearing, and only a few white wisps of it were clinging to Twin Peaks when I walked home that morning. It was too late to worry about Hope. Or did she phone for Gutman to decoy me out so that I started walking faster? As I climbed the stairs to my apartment, I heard a door open on the landing, and the slot of light that stabbed out from it showed me it was my door. The light came from behind, whoever had opened it, and I couldn't see who it was at first, only that it was not Larry Laverne. I took the last flight four steps at a time. 
know, Sam. Dundee, what's happened? Come in and see for yourself. When I saw for myself, I wish somebody else had seen for me. Hysterical Larry was lying on his back on my bedroom floor. His eyes were wide open, and he had a crooked grin on his face. A very crooked grin. Whoever had killed him had wrenched his jaw out of place. I'm not saying you killed him, Sam. I'm only asking you who did. Don't be a child, Dundee. Why was he killed? No statement. What was he doing here? Who is he? The name he gave was Laverne. I let him flop here because he was afraid to go home. Afraid of who? A man named Casper Gutman. What? Yeah, Gutman. Quit stalling, Sam. Gutman's dead and you know it. You bury him, Dundee? Sam, I believe you mean it. Where Gutman's concerned, it doesn't pay to kid around. What's the after now? The bridge work out of a man's mouth. The man's name is Julius. What's in this Julius bridge work? Maltese Falcon? Something like that. I'm sorry, Sam. It's not good enough. I'll have to take you in. So you took me and you booked me. Bail was set at $20,000. You saw to that. You figure there's only one operator who'd put up that kind of money to spring me, and that's Casper Gutman. I hope you're right. Period. And the first part, at least, of sob story. But Sam, what is in Herman Julius's bridge work? Well, Laverne told me it was a tooth Gutman stole out of a skeleton in an old Portuguese catacomb. What's so valuable about that? I don't know. Could be a jewel inside of it? No, it's not Gutman's kind of game. Besides, the thing that made poor Laverne blow his top in that newsreel theater was something more like an elephant tusk. Oh. Uh, where's that encyclopedia? Did you bring it? Oh, yes, I did, Sam. Yes, I did. Wasn't I smart? Look it up. Look what up? Candy with a K. Oh. Um, K, Ka, Can. Oh, here it is. Um, candy. K, not funny. City. Capital of central province of Ceylon. Located near the center of the island north... Spare me the geography. Well, the railroad from Colombo. Uh, noted for its waterfalls and stuff and stuff and yeah, stuff. Yeah, that yeah. Is, the city surrounds an artificial lake and is sacred to Buddhists for its temple of Maligawa, which enshrines the tooth of Buddha brought according to legend... What? Let me see that. Oh, Let me see. Uh, the sacred, sacred to Buddhists for its temple of Maligawa, which enshrines it. Effie. What's the matter, Sam? The tooth of Buddha. Sam, you don't think that's what's in Herman Julius's bridge work? If it was, Gutman would be after him. But how did he get to Portugal? If it did, Gutman's the man that could track it down. Sam, you sure of that? No, Angel. No. The only thing I am sure of is this. When the Maltese falcon laid an egg, it hatched a flock of vultures, and they're all circling right around my head. Well, cheer up, Sam. You won't be in jail long. I'll bring you a cake with a file in it. Angel. No, devil's food. <laughs> In tonight's full hour of suspense, Howard Duff, our star, appears as Sam Spade, with Joseph Kearns as Casper Gutman, in William Spears' production of The Candy Tooth. Tonight's study in suspense. At the point at which we interrupted Sam Spade's narrative just now, things were at a pretty pass. A pretty pass, indeed. A pretty pass. Sam wound up with the body of the dentist, Larry Laverne, in his apartment. The girl, Hope, waiting for him in the bus station. Casper Gutman, the fat man, waiting for an answer to his ultimatum that Spade produced the tooth or else. Me in city prison on a $20,000 bail and the fabulous candy tooth still chumping on two-bit hamburgers and the bridge work of a very elusive man named Herman Julius. Yes. 
And? Well, uh, after I dictated my report to Effie on what had happened until then, she left and I laid down to think. Lieutenant Dundee and I had agreed that I should spend the night in the pokey. He figured that the 20G bail would draw only one man to put up that much moolah to spring me, Casper Gutman. Along about 9 in the a.m., the turnkey unlocked the door of my cell. I followed him out to the desk. The 20,000 bucks were there, but no sign of benefactor, benefactress, or Samaritan of any type. The bond was in my name. I signed my release and walked out. Across the street was parked a long black limousine with the curtains drawn. I started for it when a voice at my elbow checked me. Your singer spade. See. Si. Uh, I'm Dom Constantino de Braganza. It's I who have put up the $20,000. Is that so? <laughs> well, thank you. Uh, now, uh, why? Uh, I desire a service. <laughs> my card, Senor. Uh, Dom Constantino. Wait a minute. <laughs> you seem to know the name, eh? Yeah, yeah. For a guy who's been dead 500 years, you don't look too bad. <laughs> oh, thank you. You are referring, of course, to my illustrious ancestor, Dom Constantino, the first Portuguese viceroy of India, who indeed had been dead since the 16th century. It's on his behalf I speak to you now. <laughs> what can I do for him? Restored the tooth which was wrenched from his skull by a pack of unspeakable ghouls who violated his tomb in Lisboa. You think they're in San Francisco? Let us not be naive, senor. The contemptible little dentist, Laverne, was killed in your apartment. Therefore, you must know the whereabouts of the other ghouls. I know so many ghouls, senor. You'll have to be more specific. I refer to a fat pig named C. Gutman and an odorous little camel named J. Cairo and most especially to a woman of the female sex by name H. Laverne. You want them or the tooth? Both. Not one without the other. No, it'll take a little time. They haven't got the tooth. You know where it is? In the bridge work of a man named Julius. Oh. That then explains the dentist and the diabolical manner which they employed in smuggling the tooth out of Lisboa. Now, uh, you go on home and uh, you stay there until I call you, huh? Ah. Senor, I respect your judgment. Thank you. You will find me at the Hotel San Rafael and... For your retainer, you may consider the $20,000 bond as yours. Wow. Adios, senor. Adios. Uh, be careful crossing streets. Uh, adios. 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 Adios, Tom Constantino. Adios. Yeah, adios. 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 Mr. Spade. Sam, get in. You, uh, got a hack license, Miss Laverne? Oh, please don't, Sam. I know this car's ridiculous, but I don't dare use taxis or be seen on the street. What did that man tell you? What happened last night when you called me from the bus station in such a panic? Why didn't you come? I went to see the fat man. You saw Gutman? Did he mention me? You didn't make that call last night to get me out of the apartment so that somebody could get in and kill Laverne. Oh, Sam. Then why did you call? Because I found Herman Julius, and I'm driving you there now. We didn't do any talking after that. She sat very close to me. There was plenty to talk about, but we didn't do any talking after that. I was vaguely aware that we were driving across to Oakland, and a few minutes later, we pulled up in front of an apartment building. We took the elevator up to the ninth floor. This is it, Sam. 9B. Nobody home. He's in there, Sam. I know he is. Mr. Julius. Mr. Julius. Go, go away. There's no Julius here. Oh, that's his voice. Mr. Julius, I've got to talk to you. What? It's very important. 
If you don't open the door, I'll have to... I'll kill myself. I'll kill myself. He will, Sam. He will. You've got to stop him. Go away. Julius! Wait a minute. Wait. Don't! It was the ninth floor he started from. Poor, frightened little Herman Julius was dead on arrival. By the time we made it downstairs, the street was cluttered with cops. I grabbed Hope by the arm, hustled her around the corner to a rented limousine, and told her I'd call her later. My next stop was the fat man himself. Well, sir, so you reconsidered. You found Julius. I know where he is. And your terms, sir. What are your terms? A hundred thousand, cash on the line. Oh, out of the question, Mr. Spade. No cash, no tooth. You found another buyer? Yeah. A man named Constantino de Braganza says the tooth belongs on the head of his ancestor by a previous marriage. Oh, acquaintances are very droll. And what else did he say to you? That he'd double any bid that you made on the tooth. My dear fellow, have you any inkling, any remote idea of the value of that tooth? No? Well, I'll tell you, sir. But let me warn you, if I tell you, and you do not then produce the tooth. Yeah, yeah, let's get on with it, Governor. Yes, let's sit down, sir. <clears throat> How much do you know the 16th century history of the Orient? Well, enough to fill that tooth with. Uh, capital joke, sir. I should give you a little more. Enough, say, to fill an elephant tusk. I'm listening. <clears throat> yeah. uh, well, sir, when the Portuguese invaded India in the 16th century and established the city of Goa, there were three main empires in the Orient, namely China, India, and Burma. And the rulers of all three empires sought to rule the world. Now, legend had it, that in order to become lord of the world, a monarch had first to be the possessor of seven gems. That's gems spelled with a J, sir. Yes, gems. This is no fantasy, I'm telling you, Mr. Spade. This is actual history. Seven gems. And what were those seven gems? You tell me. Uh, the first six do not concern us, Mr. Spade. A golden wheel, a white elephant, all easy to come by for an oriental monarch. But the seventh. Ah, Mr. Spade, the seventh. What was that, a tooth? The tooth, Mr. Spade, the tooth. The sacred tooth of the great Lord Buddha himself. That remained in the temple of Malegawa at Kande, on the island of Ceylon. Now, many kings sent armies to capture it, but all were defeated by the fierce Brahmins who stood guard at the temple gates. And so, uh, we come to the year 1552. It's about time. Now, in that year, the Portuguese viceroy, Dom Constantino de Braganza, landed near Jaffna with a force of 1,220 men and defeated the king's legions in a savage battle. Mm. He returned to Goa with his victorious army and the tooth, which he retained as his personal pride. It was not long before the Burmese king, Bainaum by name, sent an emissary to Dom Constantino, offering the modern equivalent of a million pounds sterling as ransom for the tooth. How'd it get to Portugal? Oh, hear me out, sir. Hear me out, hear me out. Oh, all right. Well, before the transaction could be consummated, the Portuguese archbishop called on Dom Constantino and in the name of the Inquisition demanded the tooth. After some delay, Don Constantino, under threat of torture, delivered a tooth into the archbishop's hand. And that tooth was publicly destroyed. The archbishop grinding it into powder with water and pestle and scattering the residue upon a fire that the tooth might be utterly consumed. Shortly after this, Don Constantino's personal physician, after drawing a tooth, now mind you, a tooth, from the viceroy's head, died under very mysterious circumstances. We may safely infer that the substitute tooth which he drove into the viceroy's jawbone after the primitive fashions of dentistry in those days was the candy tooth 
put there for safekeeping until Dom Constantino could resume negotiations with Bainaung's emissary. Uh, yeah, uh, but... But, 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 before that could be accomplished, Dom Constantino was stricken with the plague, carried aboard ship, and home to Portugal, where he died. He was entombed with a candy tooth still in his head. Now, the manuscript which fell into the possession of the Russian Kemidov and later into mine, but I shall not go into unnecessary detail... Of course not. ...was Dom Constantino's deathbed confession, proving beyond the shadow of a doubt that the real Candy Tooth had reposed for more than four centuries, not in the great temple at Candy in Ceylon, but in a Portuguese tomb. Yeah, well, I think I can take it from there. Uh, <clears throat> you still haven't told me what my percentage is. Well, my dear boy, if your percentage were one-tenth of one percent of what can be realized on that tooth, you could retire to a life of sloth and luxury for the rest of your days. <laughs> for the restoration of the true relic, there is no limit to what the Buddhist world could and would pay. Gifts and tribute paid to one temple alone exceed $11 million a year. <laughs> now, my boy, you begin to comprehend something of its value? I'll still settle for cash. Uh, very well, then. $10,000. It's a deal. You understand, Mr. Spade. Now that you have my secret, the affair must be gotten over quickly, for good and all. If it is not, believe me, this time I shall not bargain with you for my life. You shall bargain with me for yours. <laughs> After I left Gutman, I called you, Dundee, and found out by a clever ruse where Herman Julius's body had been sent. You told me. Then I hustled on over to the mortuary. As I walked in, a hushed young man wearing a hushed cutaway and a hushed expression greeted me. Good evening, sir. I'm Converse Etheridge. Can I be of service? Thank you. I've uh, come to pay my last respects to an old friend. I, uh, can I be alone with him for a few minutes? His name? Uh, Julius. Herman Julius? Oh, yes, yes. His widow is here, sir. Mrs. Julius. His widow, huh? Yes, she's inconsolable. Uh, perhaps, as a dear friend of the departed, you might give her words of comfort. Please go in. Thank you. A little woman in black was sobbing quietly to herself. She turned around when she heard me come in. Her eyes lit up with hatred, and suddenly she grabbed something from her pocketbook and held it at me. It was a forty-five, and her hand was shaking. Yeah, this time I will do it. Always before I didn't have the heart. Always hating bloodshed. But this time, yeah, this time. Nick, Nick, Frau Julius, Freund, Freund. You, you are not one of them. No, no, I'm a detective. I, I want to punish the people responsible for your husband's death. Yeah, yeah, I believe you. This gun, I was going to follow. Poor Herman. There didn't seem to be any reason for going on. Uh, tell me something about yourself and your husband, Mrs. Julius. It's uh, an old story now. Years of separation in different concentration camps. Bribery, bribery. Then my children and I, we were finally released. Came to this country... After two years, Herman wrote us from Lisbon. We knew soon he would be with us. But even though the war was finished, they had lost. Still, they went after Herman Julius. He knew the Nazis were behind him all the time. And even here, in this country, he did not dare come to me. Mrs. Julius, uh, you see... Uh... Those people that followed your husband this time weren't Nazis. 
They, they weren't even after him. They were after something he was carrying. In uh, Lisbon, didn't he go to a dentist named Laverne? Oh, yeah. And didn't, yeah, that's... Didn't uh, Laverne put an odd-shaped tooth, kind of yellow, into his bridge work? That, that, yeah. So he smuggled the candy tooth out of Portugal, and he never even knew it. Oh, well, it does not matter now. Oh, Herman is dead. Surely you... They will leave his poor broken body in peace. I doubt it very much, Mrs. Julius. No. No, surely they will... That's why I want to make a request of you. You see, others have died besides your husband because of this thing. More will die unless you do as I ask you. Oh, to stop terror. Any terror. I will do anything, Mr. Spade. Anything you say. I told her what I wanted done, and she agreed to do it. Then I started on my part of it. I called Gutman on the, the St. Mark and told him 11 at my apartment. Then I called Dom Constantino at the San Rafael. Hope and I got there around 10.30. Go on in, Angel. Well, this is where you live, Sam? Where I sleep. Must be lonely for you. Sorry, no vacancy. Sam, listen. There's so much I want to tell you about myself. I'm listening. Well, listen... Just before the war started, I was engaged to marry a man named Kemidoff in London. The Russian, yeah. Government mentioned him. Something about an old manuscript? Yeah, Kemidoff had stolen it. In India, it was very old, and Kemidoff said that the information in it made it worth more than the Maltese Falcon. It was in Latin. Mm-hmm. How'd the fat man get this manuscript away from Kemidoff? So you, uh, double-crossed Kemidoff and took the manuscript to Gutman. Sam, before they get here, I've got to tell you something. No matter what happens, I want you to know this. Sure, sure, I know. Say it, Angel. Don't torture me, Sam. I'd like to hear it, Angel. I... Oh, Sam, I love you so much, it feels like hate. It feels like a... Go on, go on. Hate me, Angel. Darling. No. No, don't answer it, Sam. Relax, Angel. You'll be okay. Sam? Yeah? Only you, Sam. All I want out of... Only you. Just stay on third, Angel. I'll bat you home safe. Ah, you see, sir, I have a punctual man. Come on in, Gutman. <laughs> Look, the same apartment, the same colors, everything the same. Yeah, the same rat race, Cairo. Hello, Marvin. Uh, Killed anybody since lunch? You want me to give it to you, Shamus? Oh, please, please, Marvin. No unpleasant talk. Uh, Mr. Gutman, please tell Marvin. In here, me. gentlemen. Yes, 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 Marvin. Mr. Spade, I'm sure, regrets the unfortunate... Well, and what have we here? You all know the lady? You see, Mr. Gutman, you see, I told you. Now he's dealing with her. Oh, this is... Shut so up, heavy. you hear me? Shut up. Uh, don't talk just like that. I'm, I'm jumpy. I don't feel good. I don't know why. You shut up, too. Always fighting violence on prisoners. I'm getting too old for this. Uh, uh, Now, Mr. Spade, to the business at hand. You have the tooth. I want some answers first. Did you have our dentist friend Laverne killed? No. Did Marvin kill Laverne? No. Cairo? No. Nobody killed Laverne. He died of old age. Have you uh, asked the uh, little lady there? Sam. I gotta ask you, baby. Sam, how could you... Answer me. No, Sam, you know I didn't. Well, it doesn't matter. 
I got my pigeon pick to take the fall. Oh, I don't feel so. Uh, now, 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 Bobby, and retain yourself. No violence. Well, sir, I... That's it. Sit still. Uh, I have a package from the Avalon Mortuary for Mr. Speed. Oh, hello, sir. Yeah, let's have it. Uh, Mrs. Julius said to tell you... Yeah, what... yeah, thanks. Well, Gutman, this is it. This little package. The candy tooth. The tooth, at last. Give it me, sir. Give it me. Oh, Mr. Gutman, it's all over. Uh, We've got it. We've got it. We have. Come, sir. No more teasing. Uh-uh, uh-uh. Put those fat lunch hooks down before I chop them off. <laughs> I rather thought this was not all. What now, sir? I told you there was another bitter. And here he is. Advise you not to reach for your gun, Mr. Spade. You're pointing that gun at the wrong belly. The fat man's inside. Mr. Gutman, Mr. Cairo, Dom Constantino de Braganza of Portugal. Portugal, indeed. It's the Russian. Kemidor. Do not be so formal, Hope, my darling. You may call me Sergei Ivanovich. All right, let's get off the Kopeck. We're all here. You see, you see, Mr. Uh, Mr. Spade, you are an unmitigated cancer. You knew all along this man was an imposter. That was the name he gave me. Well, what matter? There's enough for all. Mr. Spade, you'll please give me that pack. No, Marvin, no! They both had their guns into each other at once, practically. Kamadov fired first, but Marvin didn't fall. He spit out his chewing gum, then he squeezed the trigger of his 45. They both looked more surprised than anything else, but they were both very dead before they fell down. Marvin! Marvin. Dead. As dead as Kemidov. Oh, well, it was worth it. You know, of course, it was he who killed Laverne. I told you I had my pigeon for the fall. By God, man, you are a winner. Poor Marvin. He looks so dead. You can have the package now. Oh, yes, yes, yes. The truth, the truth, sir. He seized the package with his fat little fingers. They were trembling so he could hardly undo the strings. He tore the outer wrappings, exposed a small metal jar. He looked at me and wrenched the lid off. Uh, He dumped the contents onto the table. The tooth, what is it? There's nothing here. But ashes. Ashes, sir. Ashes. That's it, Gutman. Ashes. The tooth is there, along with the rest of Herman Julius. He was cremated this afternoon. Cremated? The tooth, it was cremated. It cannot be, no. But it is. It is the tooth. Oh, you idiot. Again, you are the idiot. Why do I stay with him? Why? Why? Well, well. Well, come, 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 Joe. Shall we stand here weeping and bemoaning a curious quirk of fate? Or shall we defy all fates? Uh, were we not well underway to finding the Romanov scepter when this charming lady detoured us with her romantic notions? Come, come. What say you, Joel? Eh? You, you mean we, we yes. go to... Yes, Joel, to Samarkand. Mr. Button, do not say it. He is listening. Uh, uh, yes, a wise precaution. Then we go. Eh? Yes, Mr. Gutman, yes, we go. Uh, adieu, Mr. Spade. <laughs> oh, sound. It's like the stage of the old Vic at the final curtain of Hamlet. Alas, poor Marvin, I knew him well. Oh, well, many slip twixt the cup and the tooth. <laughs> I let him go, Mr. Montgomery. I knew there was nothing on them that Dundee's boys could make stick. I thought twice before I let Dundee take Hope Laverne, but we both agreed it was the smart thing to do. And what do you suppose Effie said when I said, period, and a report? Oh, Sam. 
For once you came out ahead. $20,000. Oh, just think of the things we can do. You pay all the bills, the year's rent on the office, have that awful old leather chair reupholstered, and, and, and a new ribbon for my typewriter. Effie, uh, about that typewriter ribbon. Well, maybe now. I can get along on this one for a while, but... Sam, I do think we should get my mother's earrings out of Moshe's pawn shop. Effie, I, I know this is going to be a terrible blow to you, but... Sam, what did you do with the $20,000? I, uh, put it up for bail. Bail? Yeah. But that was the $20,000. And you're released till you get the money. It's very simple, Sam. You just go down and ask them for uh, it. Effie, you, you see, you don't understand these things. Now, bail is a very complex legal technicality. You see, you put up a bond and then you... Sam, how much was the bail for Hope Laverne? Yeah, that's what I mean, Angel. Oh, Sam, you're such a child. You'll never see her again. She was just... just using you. I'll take it, Abby. Hello. Angel. Hello, kitten. Sam, I'm free. Shall I come over? Well, I'll always be waiting for you, kitten. Me too, Sam. Kitten, indeed. C-A-T. Kitten. What's that, Angel? Oh, forget it, Sam. I just get... Can't figure me out, eh, Angel? Well, I'll tell you. I've lived without faith, and I've lived without charity, but I've just got to have... Out here is where I say, oh, good night, Sam. Good night, sweetheart. This is Robert Montgomery. I'm sure our suspense audience agrees with me when I say that whenever it is, it can't be too soon to have Sam Spade back with us again in a full-hour adventure on radio's outstanding theater of thrills. Incidentally, our producer, editor, director on these weekly full hours of suspense, Bill Spear, joins hands with Dashiell Hammett to bring you the adventures of Sam Spade each Sunday night on this network. Thanks for the plug, Bob. I have a basket full of thanks to my friend Howard Sam Duff, the kind of actor a director lights candles for and to wonderful Lorraine Tuttle, who plays Effie each week, and to Joseph Kearns, who is the Casper Gutman of them all. And to all you other ornaments to your profession, Kathy Lewis, Wally Mayer, Jay Novello, Jeanette Nolan, Jack Edwards, Jr., Sidney Miller, Hans Conrad, and Bill Johnston. And, of course, as always, to our musical director and conductor, Led Gluskin, and to the composer of our original scores, Lucian Morrowick. And our special thanks to Bob Tolman and Jason James, who wrote The Candy Tooth, and who were voted by their fellow mystery writers of America the Edgar Allan Poe Award for Sam Spade the best detective show on the air. Next week, we will bring you another great American master of suspense, the author of The Postman Always Rings Twice and Double Indemnity, James M. Kane. It's a full hour of Mr. Kane's very wonderful novel, Love's Lovely Counterfeit. This is Robert Montgomery, who will welcome you once again next week to radio's outstanding theater of thrills, Suspense. Don't forget next week at this same time, a full hour of... Suspense! This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. From uh, January the 10th, 1948, that was Suspense. And the name of that story was The Candy Tooth. And as we said earlier, it was written as a sequel to uh, The Maltese Falcon, although it was not written by Dashiell Hammett. Suspense's um, hour-long experiment only lasted until May 15th of that year. And then the show went off the air for two months, and then it came back on its uh, cozy little half-an-hour format every Thursday night. 
And it did get a new sponsor, Autolite. So many times when you hear episodes of Suspense, you will remember that they were sponsored by Autolite Auto Parts. The show experienced a re-emergence of popularity during that uh, second incarnation. And while the merits of the hour-long shows, uh, I guess, are left up to us as the listeners to decide if, if they were good or if they were not so good, the decision by CBS to keep the series in production is something I think we can all applaud. In fact, suspense lasted for many, many more years on uh, on CBS, even outlasting, well, most of the other shows, even popular shows. I remember when the night that Gunsmoke went off the air. I believe they announced that week that uh, the following week in that time slot, you would hear an episode of Suspense. Bombadida, 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 Just sing a song and think about sunny weather. Happy Something for everyone on comedy tonight. Nothing with kings, nothing with clowns. Bring on the lovers, liars, and clowns. Situation, no complication. Nothing portentous or polite. Ready tomorrow, comedy tonight. <laughs> if you're a baby boomer, I know you remember Edgar Bergen and Charlie McCarthy and Mortimer Sturd. I first remember them, or at least remember Bergen. See, I talk about Charlie McCarthy like he's a real person. And that was the magic of this act of his, of Edgar Bergen's, that he really had you convinced that his dummies were real, real people. Think about it. Here's a ventriloquist, a ventriloquist doing a radio show. But it worked. It worked because he could convince you that these were real people. And he did it very well. In fact, if you ever watched him in person, he wasn't one that was really good at not moving his lips when he talked. But it didn't matter. You didn't care because you didn't look at Bergen. You were watching his dummy the whole time. But Baby Boomers, I first remember Edgar Bergen hosting Do You Trust Your Wife? This was back when I was a little kid. It was a game show, and people would come on, and it was always a husband and wife, and they would ask questions, and I guess at some point you had to depend on the other person and and agree that they gave the right answer or not. And then later, Johnny Carson took over from him. When Johnny Carson was 
uh, still relatively unknown, and they changed the show to Who Do You Trust? But it started off, Do You Trust Your Wife? And I remember when Edgar Bergen hosted that show. Another interesting thing is Candace Bergen is one year older than I am. When you go back and listen to some of these shows from the early 50s, uh, oftentimes little Candy is in the studio, and sometimes they even incorporated her into the show. Okay, well, anyway, we're going back tonight to March the 28th, 1954, and this one has as its guest star, Rosemary Clooney. Hope you enjoy it. The Edgar Bergen Show with Charlie McCarthy. Now, Cliff, you help me, I'll mow you down. It's Sunday night, and time again for Edgar Bergen with Charlie McCarthy, Mortimer Snurd, and Ray Noble and his orchestra, brought to you transcribed by the makers of famous Lanolin Plus products for softer, more youthful-looking skin and lovelier, more manageable hair. Tonight, our guest is Rosemary Clooney. And now, here is Edgar Bergen with Charlie McCarthy. Well, here I am, folks. This is uh, one McCarthy who always gets radio time. (laughs) (laughs) Now, just a minute, Charlie. I am here, too. Oh, quiet, Bergen. Do you have to take the class off the axe so soon? Oh, I'm sorry. (laughs) Well, what's this I hear about you being in bed with the Royal Order of Rat Sluggers? Yeah, yeah. What's the trouble? Well, I tell you, Bergen, you see... uh, I'm uh, I'm the treasure. Oh, I see. You're the treasure. Yeah. I see. Now, what's the trouble? Well, that's the trouble. Oh, that's the trouble. <laughs> what went wrong? Well, you know, we have what we call our sinking fund. Yes. Well, it seems it went down for the third time. Oh. <laughs> and they're accusing me. Imagine that. I've never been so indignant in all my life. Well, all you have to do is prove your innocence... I said I was indignant. I didn't say anything about innocence. Oh, I... <laughs> well, did you take the money? Well, so help me, Bergen, I'm innocent. Yeah. And if I'm lying, may the ceiling fall in on me. Yeah. I'll get that smart aleck of a sound man if it's the last thing. <laughs> now, uh, where is all this money that was paid in dues? Well, uh, where is it? Yeah, I know, I know, I know what you said. Uh, let's say it's an escrow. <laughs> let's say. I see. Escrow. Yeah. Is that a new name for your back pocket? <laughs> He's getting clever, isn't he? Yeah. <laughs> Don't you just hate people who jump to conclusions? Especially the right conclusion. <laughs> so you took the money, and now the rat sluggers are after you. Yeah, and if they catch me on the rat, they'll slug. Yeah, <laughs> Why did you steal the money? I can't help it, sir. I am a kleptomaniac. A kleptomaniac. Yeah. You know, when you're a kleptomaniac, you're, that entitles you to clep a little when you feel like clepping. <laughs> Until you get clipped. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I had a friend who was a maniocleptic. Oh, I see. A maniocleptic. Yeah. He used to back into a department store and leave things on the counter. Oh, stop. <laughs> well, don't change the subject. You're in serious trouble. I know it. Yes. I I don't think things could look worse. Yeah. Oh, how do you do, chaps? 
So they do now. Yeah. <laughs> I say, uh, may I put my three cents worth into this conversation? Don't you mean two cents worth? I always leave a tip, old boy. Oh. <laughs> Ray, do you know what Charlie's done? Oh. He's taken the rat slugger's money. What? He's, he's on the spot. Yeah. Wait till you see my spot remover, though. I hired a tough mug to protect me. Oh, yes. A bodyguard? Well, where is he? He's right outside. I'll get him. Oh, muscles. Muscles. You take my myth. I'm a strangler in paradise. <laughs> All right, Charlie. Tell me who you want me to beat up. <laughs> Ain't he a beauty? Yeah. <laughs> Charlie, where did you find him? Who's this punk? Friend of Schmoltz. Oh, wait. <laughs> I'm Edgar Bergen, the ventriloquist. Well, Baldy Locks, you're safe. I don't beat up no lunatics here. <laughs> now, see here. Button your lip. It's no use, Muscles. He never could keep him from moving. All right. <laughs> uh, I say, old chap, uh, have, you, uh, have you been in very many scraps? Have I? Uh -huh. You see my left ear? No, old boy. Does that answer your question, Brushmush? <laughs> no fool it in, Ray. Muscles is real tough. Yeah, that's right. Around my neighborhood, every night you see a chase between cops and robbers. Oh, that's the case in many neighborhoods. With the cops out in front? Well... <laughs> see, how it's totally interesting. Uh, excuse me, but what's that big muscle on your shoulder? Oh, I see now. That's your head. <laughs> <laughs> You know, I used to be athletic, too. I had a big chest. Yeah, well, that's all behind you now. Yeah. <laughs> Come on, Muscles, let's take a little walk. I'd like to see any rat slugger show up now. Uh, just a minute, just a minute. What's it now? You ain't paid me my salary yet. Well... That's 25 cents a day for three days. Hmm. That's three times 20... Let's see, that comes to 50 cents. <laughs> yeah, that's right, that's right, yeah, that's right, yeah, yeah. Well, I'm a little short right now, chum. Listen, I... you lumberjack. Get that money up or soon they'll be notifying you next to kindling. <laughs> Looks like I'm going to have to hire another bodyguard to protect me from this bodyguard. What have I got? Our lovely guest tonight is one of the busiest people in Hollywood. Since she last appeared on our show, she has completed two pictures and wound up a whirlwind honeymoon in Europe to say nothing of several appearances in front of the television cameras. But the nicest thing about her is that she's never too busy to drop in on us whenever she's in town. And here's one of our favorite people, Rosemary Clooney. No fear, remember there's always tomorrow, so what if we have to part, we'll be together again, your kiss. Your smile Our memories I'll treasure forever So try thinking with your heart We'll be together 
Why that worried look on your face? Well, the way I feel, I, I just wish I was dead. Oh, no. No, you don't. I do so, too. Is that right? Yeah. I'd stick my head in the oven if I knew how to cook. All right. <laughs> You're exaggerating. Oh, yeah? Well, yesterday I felt so awful, I, I threw myself out of the window of a tall building. You didn't? Yeah. What floor? Well, the basement. Uh, <laughs> no use in overdoing the thing. <laughs> well, why do you feel so badly? Because I'm, I'm a failure, if that's so. Yeah. A failure at your age. Yeah, yeah. Us nerds get where we're going in a hurry. I see. <laughs> well, now, why are you so sure that you're a failure? Well, every time I get a job, they end up by saying the same thing to me. Oh, what's that? I'll trouble you for the key to the washroom. I... <laughs> Bunch of Indian givers. Oh, I see. Well, losing a few jobs isn't too bad. Why do you always get fired? Because that's the quickest way of getting rid of me. Oh, I... <laughs> well, don't be discouraged. You know the old saying, if at first you don't succeed... What? 
You're a better man than I am, Mickey Finn? No, no. No, <laughs> no the important thing is to keep trying. Well, yeah, well. Yeah. After all, nothing is impossible. Is that so? Yeah. Did you ever try to stand a worm on end? No, no. <laughs> Cheap talk, that's all. Yeah. Well, just because you were fired from a few jobs, don't let that get you down. Just look at the world. Look at the world right in the face. I don't think the world can take it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and to show you that I have confidence in you, you can work for me. I believe you'll make good. You do? Yes. I don't know if I want to work for anybody that dumb. Is that... <laughs> Now, the first thing I want you to do for me on this job is to help me move things around for spring cleaning. Now, you won't scratch anything, will you? No, sir, no. Not unless it itches. I see. Uh, how, uh, how are you at touching up paint? Well, I always say, if you got to touch it, up is as good a direction as any. Yeah. <laughs> and I'd like you to take care of my flower garden, too. Well, yeah. I'm not at all pleased with the way my trailing arbutus looks. Well, just wear a long coat and nobody will notice it. <laughs> Mortimer, I've told you all your duties now. Yeah. Now, how about repeating them? Yeah, how about that? Yeah, yeah. I want you to tell me what I said. Oh, weren't you listening either? Oh, no, no. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, one of the outstanding moneymakers at the movie box office this year has been Riot in Cell Block 11. With this in mind, Charlie McCarthy has written his own prison epic. So here is Riot in Cell Block 12, or... Thanks, Dad, for sending that cake with the blonde inside. <laughs> Spike McCarthy, public enemy number one. When I was a kid, I had to fight to use my fists. With me, it was always fists. I was 10 years old before I knew I had fingers. <laughs> and I was 12 years old before I knew I was 10 years old. <laughs> I was so tough when I walked down the street, even the sewers backed up. <laughs> One night I was holding up the YWCA. I had just loaded the third girl on my truck when the cop showed up. I'll never forget my trial. I stood before the judge and he said... Spike McCarthy, you have been convicted of grand theft, kidnapping, assault, forgery, blackmail, arson, burglary, and murder. For these horrible crimes against society, I sentence you to 30 days in jail. <laughs> That ain't so bad. I'm not finished. Uh, and the electric chair. <laughs> the electric chair? What did I do to deserve that? You committed one of the most despicable crimes in history. You stole one of Liberace's candles. <laughs> Brother George must have squealed. <laughs> ah, but that was that. They took me away to the big house. 
I had only 24 hours left to live. I was sitting in my cell, deep in gloom and sorrow, mournful, dismal, down in the dumps when the guard entered. I say, how do you do, old boy? Why, you certainly look deep in gloom and sorrow, mournful, dismal, and down in the dumps, don't you? <laughs> Did it, you think? I want to be alone. Do you realize I'm going to the electric chair? <laughs> yes, yes, that's quite shocking, isn't it? Ah. <laughs> Well, maybe you'd like something to read. I've got all the ladies' magazines here with me. Time, life... Now, look. <laughs> I only got a few hours to live. Well, then how about this magazine? Quick. Why? <laughs> oh, and while I'm here, do you have any last requests? Yeah, when they strap me in the hot seat... Yes? I want you on my lap. Now beat it. <laughs> I was tired. After the guard left, I lay down on my cot and went to sleep. I had the most wonderful dream. I dreamed that I was playing Scrabble with King Farouk. <laughs> and we were using lettered girls. <laughs> but as usual, my luck was running bad. Just when it was my move, I was awakened by a strange sound. The sound of digging or something. It must be one of those tough cons in cell block 11, trying to tunnel his way out of prison. Here he comes. Oh, goody. Freedom at last. Well, say, you're just a little old lady. Tough break, kid. You're still in prison. Darn it, I didn't dig far enough. No. But this doesn't look like Tehachapi. <laughs> Tehachapi, this is Alcatraz. Darn it, I dug too far. <laughs> I just can't see a thing without my glasses. I don't get it. What's a little old lady like you in the clink for? What's the rap? Oh, I got 99 years for jaywalking. For jaywalking? <laughs> jaywalking? How come? Well, at the time, I was carrying a safe from the First National Bank. <laughs> So you're, you're busting out, eh? Yeah, I'm fed up with this cotton-picking jail. Yeah. <laughs> the darn warden won't give me any more wool for my knitting. What's a little old lady like you knitting? A little old man. Oh. <laughs> now, where's my tunnel? Oh, here it is. Here I go. Dig, dig, dig. Well, all right. Uh, good luck. Good luck. Good luck. What a gal. It wasn't that she didn't have all her marbles. It was just that they were arranged differently. <laughs> right after she left, the guard came to my cell and said I had a visitor. I walked into the visiting room, and there was my girlfriend, Rosemary. She was sitting there, dressed in a simple black French bathing suit. <laughs> I said, hello, baby. I like that outfit you're wearing. Oh, it's nothing. That's what I like about it. <laughs> But it's about time you got here. I only have a few hours left. Did you see the governor? He turned you down, Spike. Uh, but don't worry, I'll get you out of this awful prison. Oh, oh, oh. Look what I smuggled in for you, a file. Oh, gee, thanks. But why is the file so big? It's got a cake inside of it. <laughs> Leave it to my gal to fool those coppers. But you may not have to use it, Spike. I brought this lawyer with me to help spring you. Oh, Mr. McKay. This guy is a lawyer? That's right, boy. I'm with the firm of Hodgkiss, Lewis, Patty, Maxine, and Laverne. <laughs> Allow me to introduce myself. 
My name is Loophole McKay, one of the country's most reputable and highly respected shysters. <laughs> I've heard of you before. Oh, everybody has. Yeah. Why, during my career, I defended 30 murderers and each one was hanged. They all were hanged? Yep. That's how I got my slogan. Swing and sway with Loophole McKay. <laughs> but you promised to help. Yeah. I'm headed for the electric chair. What can you do for me? Want to buy some asbestos shorts, boy? <laughs> what a lawyer. Now <laughs> yeah. oh, you've got nothing to worry about. Oh. I'm one of the outstanding disbarred lawyers in the legal profession. <laughs> I'm disappointed in you, Mr. McKay. I brought you here to help Spike. Well, I can, I can. I'll just take my last case. My client was picked up for counterfeiting, forgery, booking bets, running a crap game, car stripping, selling stolen goods, and slugging a cop. And you got your client off? Yep. Mother's back home with us now. You've got a lot of nerve coming here. I don't think you ever passed the bar. I did, too. As soon as I leave here, I'm going right back for another short one. Now, look here, Jell-O Jowls. I hey, hey, wait a minute, wait a minute. Uh, What's that sound? Someone is tunneling up through the floor. They're breaking through. Yeah. Oh, goody, freedom at last. Mother, when did you get back in? Goodness, where am I? You're in the visiting room at Alcatraz. Darn it, I goofed again. <laughs> Crazy pair of mixed-up eyes. Oh, well, back to digging again. I'll get out yet. I say, what's going on there? Oh, oh Mom, here comes the guard. You better run for it. I am getting out of here. Yeah. Follow me if you want to escape. Oh, sure. Into the tunnel. Into the tunnel. Down the corridor. On, through this me. alley. The up these stairs. Yes, yes. Now in here. Yeah. Oh, Goody, freedom at last. Uh, yeah. where, where, where are we? I don't know, but I'm tired. I'm going to sit oh. down. Whoops! What was that? Madam, that was the electric chair. Electric chair? You know something? It makes my lumbago feel better. <laughs> I would like to thank Rosemary Clooney for joining us tonight. And before we go, here's our rural philosopher Mortimer with Snurd's Words for the Birds. Uh, life is worth living, especially when you're alive. <laughs> thank you, Mortimer. Until next Sunday, good night, everyone. Remember to listen to Edgar Bergen with Charlie McCarthy, Mortimer Snurd, Ray Noble, and the entire ensemble brought to you by Lanolin Plus over the CBS radio network at this same time. Rosemary Clooney may currently be seen co-starring with Jack Carson, Guy Mitchell, and others in Paramount's Technicolor musical, Red Garters. Tonight's Edgar Bergen show with Jack Kirkwood, Gloria Gordon, Charlie Cantor, and Paul Fries was produced and transcribed in Hollywood by Sam Pierce, script by Norman Paul, Cy Rose, and Zeno Klinker. This is Bill Baldwin speaking. This is the CBS Radio Network. From March 28, 1954, that was the Edgar Bergen Show starring Charlie McCarthy with guest Rosemary Clooney. I always wanted to be a ventriloquist when I was a kid.
I had several stuffed animals that I sort of converted into my dummies. And then eventually I got a a Danny O'Day dummy. He was dressed, I remember, in a Texaco uh, uniform. You remember Danny O'Day? What was the name of his ventriloquist? And, and Farfel, yeah, the dog. They did the Nestle's commercials, right? Who was it, Chester? Jimmy Nelson. That's right, Jimmy Nelson. And then there was Paul Winchell with Jerry Mahoney and Knucklehead Smith. But really, before all of them was, was Edgar Bergen and Charlie McCarthy. Very good. And, you know, Charlie McCarthy became very real in people's minds. And they did a lot of uh, interesting things that sort of promoted the show. For instance, in there, did you notice that uh, Charlie is the head of the Royal Order of Rat Sluggers? <laughs> now, I don't know what a rat slugger does exactly, but if you go into Google and put in Charlie McCarthy rat sluggers, uh, you'll see that there's memorabilia from that era. Uh, one person had for sale on an auction site, if it's still up, uh, some uh, money that uh, had Charlie McCarthy's picture on it that said the Royal, Royal Order of Rat Sluggers. And I guess this was an ongoing thing on the show. I don't, I, I don't know much about it. Very touching. If you read Candace Bergen's book, Knock Wood, she talks about how difficult it was growing up because uh, Edgar Bergen was Swedish, and Swedish people are not prone, at least traditionally. It, it is the belief of many, let me put it that way, that Swedish people are not great at showing their emotions, at least Swedish men. So she had to grow up in the shadow of this dummy, right, who was a child. Charlie McCarthy was, was portrayed as a boy. And the dummy never had to grow up, but she did. And she was constantly competing with this dummy for her father's love. But one of the things I think, and I think it was in her book because I did read it, but it, describing the circumstances surrounding his death, and it was very touching. He was, had sort of been forgotten in show business. And so he was talked into doing one last a uh, series of shows, like a goodbye tour. And he was booked into, I believe it was Caesar's Palace in Las Vegas. And he more or less expected that nobody would remember him. But it ended up that they had a huge, a huge crowd. And he got rave reviews, and he was so warmly accepted, and just got ovations. And uh, after a couple of nights, he went up into his, his room and, uh, and peacefully died passed away and that's the way that's the way his life ended it was rather bittersweet really uh, i don't know very touching to think about edgar bergen and charlie mccarthy I'm your puppet. 
That was James and Bobby Purify with a big hit song from 1967, I'm Your Puppet. Well, as you can tell from the music, it is time for Gunsmoke, everybody. We have an episode that we have never played on Boomer Boulevard before. This one was first broadcast on the 14th of October in 1956. The title is Gunshot Wound, and here it comes. Dodge City and in the territory on West, there's just one way to handle the killers and the spoilers, and that's with a U.S. Marshal and the smell of gun smoke. Gun smoke. Starring William Conrad, the transcribed story of the violence that moved west with young America, and the story of a man who moved with it. I'm that man, Matt Dillon, United States Marshal, the first man they look for and the last they want to meet. It's a chancy job, and it makes a man watchful and a little lonely. Morning, Dr. Clay. Oh, good morning, Nielsen. You want to see me? No, I never wanted anything less than to call you in here. You got bad news? Yeah, it's been bearing down on me for two days. But you've got to know, Nielsen. I'm not going to make it? Nope. 
Sooner or later, that bullet in you is going to kill you. Are you sure? Yes, sir, I'm sure. Well, I feel good enough, Doc. You you could be wrong, couldn't you? Well, I wish I was. I don't know if I'm right in telling you about it, but I treated the same kind of case at Shiloh. And the bullet kept moving, just like yours. And there was no way to stop it. How long did it last? Not as long as you have. You've been going two months since the fight. And how much longer I got, Doc? Well, there's no way to know. Another month, maybe longer, maybe less. I just thought you'd want to know, Nielsen. Better to know now than when it's too late to do anything about it. Uh, what are you going to tell Alice? What's there to say? Well, with her plan on the wedding, there ought to be some explanation. You uh, want me to tell her? Just say I changed my mind and I'm heading west. Where are you going? Back to Dodge. To look up the Mailer brothers? If they've killed me, I don't see any reason to let them go on living. Chester, can you force it up a little more? Well, no, not much, Mr. Dillon. Come on. Yeah, that's better. Hold it then. Well, can I turn loose now? Now, let's just try one more nail. Oh, the only thing that's going to fix this door is a whole new door, Mr. Dillon. There. That'll hold it for a while. Cuss it wood so rotten dry it won't hold a nail no more. Haven't you two given up with that door yet? Oh, hello, Kitty. I gave up a long time ago, Miss Kitty. Matt, Jim Nielsen's back in town. Jim Nielsen? But Nielsen's dead, Kitty. No, he's not. He's at the Long Branch right now, spreading the word that he's come back to kill the Mailer brothers. Are you sure? I've seen him. I've heard him. All of the Mailer boys heard about it? It won't take long, the way it's getting talked about. Tom Mailer rode up to Clay City, Mr. Dillon, day before yesterday. Charlie's the only one in town. Then I guess I better go see him. What about Nielsen? Well, if he's spreading the word, he'll be where I can find him anytime I want. <laughs> Charlie. Oh. Afternoon, Marshal. Hello, Charlie. What's the trouble? Oh, this blame mare got a rock in her hoof. She won't even let me pick it up. Uh, you want me to hold her for you? No. I'll manage. How are you, Marshal? Oh, I'm fine, Charlie. Fine. Uh, Charlie, did you know that Jim Nielsen was in town? Nielsen? Nielsen's dead, Marshal. Tom did for him. He's not dead. He's back in Dodge looking for you and Tom. All right. 
He's welcome? Look, Charlie, I know a lot of people are on your side, but there are a lot of others on Nielsen's, and I... I'd like to stop this trouble before it goes any further. It was a fair fight, Marshal. I know it was. Anytime Nielsen wants to stand up again against either of us, we'll be ready. That'd be better if you'd stay out of sight until he leaves. I can't do that, Marshal, and you know it. People would say I was a coward. What people say isn't important, Charlie. I don't hide from nobody. Now, the only thing behind that fight was some temper and some strong words. Aren't you man enough to forget it? What are you going to do about it, Marshal? There's nothing I can do if you're set on facing Nielsen. Except try and get him out of town. Nielsen. Marshal? Well, I didn't expect you'd ever get to Dodge again. Guess you thought I was dead, Marshal, along with a lot of other people. You didn't look very healthy when they took you out of here. I'm still alive, for a little while anyway. What good is it doing you to be back here? Well, everybody figured the fight was over, but I don't happen to think that way. It's a lot of trouble over nothing. You and the Mailer brothers are good men and peaceful ones. You were drinking and there were some names called. But that's sure no reason for you to come back and stir it all up again. They thought they'd kill me, Marshal. And they were proud of it. I don't think they were. Look, Jim. Uh, I'd like it if you'd go back to Abilene. I'm not going to do it, Marshal. I got nothing to go back to nowhere. What does that mean? I'm gonna die from that gunfight we had. The bullet's still in me. Oh. There's nothing to be done about it, huh? No. Nothing but try and settle the score. I don't see how you're gonna be any better off trying to kill two good men, Jim. Marshal, it's a funny thing knowing you're going to die. I had too much to live for when I faced up to him the first time. I was going to get married. I owned some land. Those were the things I was thinking about. I got scared and tightened up. Man shouldn't have anything to think about in a gunfight. It was kind of hard not to. But I don't have now, Marshal. I don't have a thing to lose. Jim... You're a bad man to have in town. <laughs> I'll be here long. You can count on that. Drink with me, Marshal? No. No. Not tonight, thanks. Nielsen. I hear you're looking for me and my brother. You forget it, Charlie, and get out of here. Where should I get out to, Marshal? You want me to run away, Nielsen? Hold it, Charlie! (laughs) 
Is he dead, Marshal? Yeah, he's dead. You satisfied now, Nielsen? It was a fair fight, just like the first one. And just as needless. Not to my way of thinking. Tell me, Marshal, when's Charlie's brother gonna get back to town? Chester. What you doing way out here? Mr. Dillon wanted me to stop you before you got up to the plaza. Yeah, what for? Well, Jim Nielsen's waiting for you. Nielsen? Wait. What about my brother? Charlie's dead, Tom. Did Nielsen do it? Charlie come after him. I thanked you, Chester. Thank the marshal. Tom, you gonna ride in anyway? I got no place else to go. Hello, Kitty. Tom, I thought you were in Clay City. I was. Did real well, too. I signed up for Charlie and me. Take a pack train clear to Lincoln County. Charlie's dead. Um, can I get you a drink, Tom? Maybe later. I thought Nielsen was here. He left about a half hour ago. Uh, happened to know where he went? No. Can't you get your pack train together and go, Tom? Oh, you know I can't, Kitty. What good's it gonna do you looking for Nielsen or waiting for him? It's something I got to do. If he kills you, what are you gonna be proving? My brother's dead. Killing Nielsen won't bring him back. Some men ought to be killed, sure, but not you and Nielsen. You're fine men, both of you. My brother was a good man, too. Kitty, what would you have me do? I don't know, Tom. Being the kind you are, and after what's already happened, I, I guess I got no right trying to tell you what to do. Now, do you know if Nielsen figured on coming back here? I don't know, Tom. I'm going to my room. I was just about to order that drink. Then you'll have to have it without me. Thank you for sitting with me, Kitty. Matt. How long have you been here? There's not a thing I can do, is there, Kitty? Not if you don't take the guns away. Yeah, they'd only find more. Then you watch them kill each other, Matt. I can't do it. Mr. Dillon? Yeah? He's coming, Mr. Dillon. How long, Chester? It won't be but a few minutes. He was looking for Tom over at the Alpha Ganza. All right. You get out of sight someplace. All right, sir. Afternoon, Marshal. Hello, Tom. 
looked at Tom. I'm going to ask you to do a brave thing. Will you let me keep your gun for as long as you're in town? No, I won't, Marshal. You and I have been good friends, Tom. I'd like to keep it that way. But you won't do what I say, huh? What would you do with you in my spot? What you're going to do, I guess. Now, Tom, it's a different kind of a fight this time. Nielsen's going to die from the bullet you put in him two months ago, and he knows it. He's got nothing to lose. I kind of wondered why he come back. That's why. Now, will you either take off your gun or get out of town? I'd like to leave, Marshal. I'd like to be rigging our string of mules with Charlie. But there won't be any more of that. All right. All right, Tom. I told Nielsen, and I'll tell you, from the beginning, this thing has been needless. My mistake was not throwing the three of you in jail right off. Marshal Dillon, <laughs> have a drink with me. No, thanks, Tom. I'm going back to my office. Goodbye. Well, Nelson, I guess there's no reason trying to talk any sense into you either. It's gone past talking, Marshal. You aren't figuring on stopping me. There's nothing I can do. I'll see you later. do for him, Matt. He's dead. Oh, my goodness. Seemed like such a waste. He, he was a good man. Both of them was. There's no reason for you to feel bad, Matt. You, you tried your very best to stop it. Someday there's going to be a law about carrying guns, and there's going to be fights like these that'll bring it. A man's got the right, Mr. Dillon. They're going to lose it, Chester, if this sort of thing doesn't stop. <laughs> Doc, uh... I'll have the body taken away. All right, man. I'll, I'll go with you if you want me to. Yeah, sure, Chester. I think I'm ready for that drink everybody offered me. Me too. You reckon Miss Kitty knows? Yeah, by this time, I'd think so. There he is, Mr. Don. Yeah. Hey, Nelson! Well, you made it, huh? You killed both the Mailer brothers. Yeah. And in fair fight, huh? Yeah. I want to ask you something. Make you feel any better? No. Tell you the truth, it don't.
now, William Conrad. You know, on the frontier, a woman had to scratch pretty hard to make any kind of a home for a man. And next week, a woman who had worked at this for over 20 years finally lets the frontier beat her, and a man dies. But that was the West. Gunsmoke. Produced and directed by Norman MacDonald, stars William Conrad as Matt Dillon, U.S. Marshal. The script was specially written for Gunsmoke by Gil Dowd, with editorial supervision by John Meston. The music was composed and conducted by Rex Corey. Sound patterns by Ray Kemper and Bill James. Featured in the cast were Harry Bartell, Vic Perrin, Lawrence Dobkin, and Jess Kirkpatrick. Harley Bear is Chester, Howard McNear is Doc, and Georgia Ellis is Kitty. Join us again next week for another specially transcribed story on Gunsmoke. As originally heard on CBS Radio back on the 14th of October in 1956. That was Gunsmoke, and the name of that episode was Gunshot Wound. And we'll have more Gunsmoke next time we get together. Well, Chester is giving me the high sign that it's time for us to pick up all of these shows and carry them back into the vault. That's going to kick things in the head for another week. Well, I hope you enjoyed our show selections this week. Now, remember, we'll be back next week with the archive show in two weeks with an all-new show. And we look forward to having you come back then. This is Bob Bro. I'm so glad you stopped by, and I'm so glad you met me. Charlie, are you enjoying yourself on the Muppet Show? Uh, yes, Durgan, I'm uh, I'm enjoying myself. Yes. Well, that's nice. Yes, I have to enjoy myself. There's nothing else to enjoy on the show. <laughs> <laughs> what? There are a bunch of weirdos. Oh no, 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 Charlie, that's not that's not nice to say that. Yeah. Why? There's some wonderful folks on this show. Yeah. Yes. Well, like uh, Fozzie. Yeah. Well, he's a bear. Yes. <laughs> Pure and simple. Charlie. <laughs> Accent on simple. Yeah. <laughs> no. You know, I think he's very nice. He's so cute and cuddly. Yeah. You know what he reminds me of? Yeah. No. What is he? Well, uh, the you know the floor in my den. It needs a rug. It needs a rug. <laughs> That's enough of that, Charlie. I don't want to hear any more about Fozzie. Good. I'll talk about the frog. No, no, no. No, 
you won't. He is our host, Kermit is. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. You know what we used to do with frogs in biology class? Yeah, I don't want to hear about that. No. <laughs> I'm surprised to hear you talking that way. What's the matter with you, Charlie? Well, if you must know, I'm, uh, I'm lonesome. Oh, you're lonesome? Yeah. Oh, I should have guessed that, sure. You, you missed the companionship of a beautiful, gorgeous female. Yeah, Did yeah. someone call me? She look, don't look down there, but somebody left the sty gate open. Yeah. Did, did you say something? Yeah, well, I was uh, I was talking to Bergen. That's what I was doing. <laughs> yeah, he, he was uh, he was just saying that he wanted to meet you. Uh huh. Didn't yeah. sound that way to me.